the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Munn, and... Me, Rob Davis. We have a spectacular show for you guys today with our second episode of Summer Night uh, for you guys to check out. Uh, but before that, we're going to do a little bit of para-networking. Um, so today, uh, we have quite a fun little para-networking game. A uh, bit of a classic one. I've heard it called a bunch of different things, um, but it's it's the one where like basically you have a minute to, to guess um a character from something from like other words associated with that character um so rob do you want to be the guesser or the the other the other dude um i can be the guesser if you want because i I assume you have something in mind already unless i do okay i mean i'm happy to if you want to be the guesser first that's fine as well um i i'll yeah fuck it I, yeah I, i'll go i'll i'll be the word smith first <laughs> okay and you be the gecker cool <laughs> i'm terrified <laughs> um okay so uh should we have a clock we should probably have a clock um put a clock on yeah i'll get one ready as well i guess see which of us it takes longer yeah um okay so i'll uh i'll start it now uh student um magic billy borden stop (laughs) 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 oh how long was that Eight seconds. Oh shit! I honestly thought I was really worried that, like, <laughs> we would find out that I'm not actually a Dresden Files fan because I just wouldn't be able to guess it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Do you wanna show? Shall we go with you as the word? The word Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ready. Okay. Resetting and starting in three, two, one. Sexy. Bianca? Male. Thomas, race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eight seconds? Yep, that's what I count as well, so... Uh... Jesus. Maybe we okay, are fans. Right. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna step it up at another level. Oh god. And go go for someone a bit more more out there. Um for you. Okay. Starting in three, two, one. Uh, holy, um, angsty. Oh, angsty. Uh, like vengeful, I guess. Vengeful's thrown me off a bit, but I was going to say, um, is it Daniel Carpenter, Michael's oldest son? Yes. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> not, not bad. How long was that? Wow. Wow! 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 Do you have someone a bit more out there? Um, yeah, I'll I'll, tr- I'll try asking you one as well if you want. Yeah, um, go on. Jesus, I can't think of one now. <laughs> without <laughs> without giving it away, like completely. 
Yeah. No, I've I've lost it. Um. All right. Okay. Here we go. Oh, wait, I need to get the timer ready. Okay. Ready? Uh. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Chicago Place. Hendrix. No. Uh. Rawlins. Uh. Cowardly. Uh, butters? Oh, not quite. Um, um, asshole. Uh, Carmichael. No. Uh, um, run out of words to describe him. Weasley. <laughs> um, not Carmichael. Not Rollins. No one likes him. Hot potato. <laughs> Get close, big, big with improv, big with improv. As <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Santa's reindeer, Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That was almost a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. I I think I'm I've got one more. Cool. Uh, I don't that's gonna be uh, Should we just do one more anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Uh I just want to double check the name to make sure that I don't uh don't get it wrong. But this this is gonna be one that's gonna test us. Oh no. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, okay, uh, three, two, one, uh, punk kid scared, uh, Nice at heart. Um. Oh shit! Annoyingly, I think I know who it is, but I can't remember their name off the top of my head. Um. Were they in Ghost Story? Yes. The shit. Um. Blah blah blah. Uh. Oh, I don't know. His, I can't remember his name. Um. The kid. The kid who can kind of sense Harry's shade. Yeah. Do I have to know his exact name? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> um, oh, shit. I I cannot um, remember his name, I'm so I'm just going to go with uh, Hank. <laughs> I know full well it's not Hank, but I... Um, Hello? I... Sorry. Um, okay. Uh, uh, blank and starts. It it comes in blank and starts. We're still on about Thingy's nope. name. Yeah. Ugh. Uh. It's it's a perfect blank. <laughs> um. Fuck's sake. 
Um, if you were putting on the blank and then you replace the R with a F. Okay. Not a clue. Uh, I'm going to call it there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his name's Fitz. Fitz. No, I would not have got that at all. Yeah, that's why I was like, uh, it comes in fits and starts, and then I was like, a perfect fit. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> Originally, I was going to do uh, Aristides, which is the leader of the gang that he's part of, but I thought, we're never going to get that. <laughs> no. No. I don't know how I would have conveyed Aristides. <laughs> a bit angry, wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was power networking this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, if uh, if you want us to have a crack or, uh, at some more of the, that sort of thing, uh, drop us a, an email or a message on one of our socials or whatever with some good ideas for characters. Because um, yeah, I think I think kind of like anyone that's that's like top B tier uh, Dresden characters like Thomas Wraith or Butters or Billy Borden, we're probably going to get. But anyone that's like right at the bottom of D tier, like Aristides from Ghost Story, I think that's that's probably too challenging. But there's like a sweet spot in the middle. Um, <laughs> I I think. What What do you think, Rob? I mean, I'm up for doing it again. Just I think we have very little preparation yeah. for it. That is also true. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm actually surprised that that Fitz hasn't appeared again since Ghost Story. Yeah, so am I. Now that you've mentioned it, there's probably yeah. a reason he'll he'll pop up again, maybe. Huh. Anyway, um, so moving on uh, swiftly, there there is less Dresden news to talk about at the moment. Um, I, I say unfortunately. I mean. Give Jim a break. He's done a, a hell of a, a job for this year, pulling out two incredible novels. Um, but yeah, there's there's not much uh, for us to talk about in the news, uh, as it were. Um, he has recent. Uh, Jim has recently done uh, some conversations and interviews and bits like that. Um, he's definitely more present, I would say, in general. Uh, than he has been in the past. Um, and if you go on his website, there's also um, a, a, currently like a gallery of Dresden tattoos, which are pretty cool. Yeah, they're pretty um, cool. I'm not a big tattoo guy, but I would... Um, I can see some of these would be really cool to get. Uh, there's a great one that's got like Dresden staff, the Pentaclamina, and then Fuego Fazare on it, which I like. Nice. Um Thing. Uh, the other ones that are interesting is uh, there's the Denarians coins someone's got on their arm. That's pretty cool. Nice. Um, and someone's got Lashiel on their arm. Which, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> okay. Uh, that's some dedication to a, a kind of backgroundish character, I guess, but. No, not background. I don't know. They they are quite present in mid in the series. Um, 
but yeah, definitely worth checking out. And my my hundred uh, percent favorite is Harry Dresden as Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. That's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's also um, worth mentioning, not tattoo related at all. Um, I came across it this morning at the time of recording. Um, the Dresden Files podcast interviewed Jim Butcher on their show. Yeah, he returned to the Dresden Files podcast. Yeah, I've not checked it out yet, but it's bound to be good. Yeah. (laughs) They are absolutely awesome Um, over there at the Dresden Files podcast. Definitely worth checking out if you have a bit of spare time. Okay, so... Uh, moving on from there, we'll get into to the proper meaty stuff and our Dresden Files book club. Uh, as I'm sure long-time viewers know and uh, first-timers are about to find out, uh, our Dresden Files book club is where we are following Jim Butcher's awesome uh, magic realism, uh, magic noir kind of series uh, from start to finish, looking at the comic books, the main series novels, the short stories, any related uh, TV programs, uh, board games, card games, and everything else in between um, are all around it. Um, we are currently on the fourth book in the series, which is Summer Summer Night! Summer Night! Um, Summer Night! <laughs> uh, and... We are in our in the second uh, batch of chapters. Uh, we always do four chapters a week. Uh, we talk about last week's chapters, and then we go into this week's chapters. So, last time on Summer Night! Um, <laughs> it rained toads the day the White Council came to town. Uh, basically, after the events of Grave Peril, uh, Harry um, is under investigation by the White Council, I guess is the best way to put it. He's also gone a bit off the rails in general. Uh, Susan Rodriguez has disappeared out of his life, and so he doesn't really have any stabilising influences. Influences? Influences. Uh, and uh, his relationship with Karen Murphy doesn't seem as close either. Um, he's very much kind of on his own and, and a bit grizzled and like um, feeling sorry for himself, really. But uh, Billy Borden, the werewolf from Full, from Fool Moon, uh, rocks up and basically says, uh, get over yourself, you're acting like a bit of a dick. Um, and Dresden's like, nuh um, <laughs> And then they get jumped by a bunch of ghouls uh, and various kind of vampire hangers-on. Um, they do their, their whole fighting thing uh, Billy goes full werewolf and we find out that he's now instead of being nerdy Billy he is ripped Billy um, so that all happens uh, then we get into uh, a little bit about what Harry's been doing recently uh, we hear that he's been uh, working in his lab trying to create a vampire vaccine to save Susan Rodriguez um, and also uh, he's been ignoring his work at his office. Um, Billy uh, actually swing, uh, swung by his office earlier in the day and has set him up a meeting with a new client, Miss Somerset. Uh, Dresden get uh, gets himself together, has a look in the mirror, realises that he looks horrendous, 
tries to clean himself up a bit and arrives at his office at his office for his appointment with his new client, uh, Ms. Somerset, a stunning white-haired woman. Uh, Dresden pulls a gun on her and demands she place her hands on the desk, testing the client with an iron nail to see how she reacts. And he works out that she is a fairy. Uh, the test is enough for the client to then decide that Dresden is of use to her and she decides to employ him. The client tells Dresden that he has no choice but to help. His dead, uh, his dead, his debt to Leah de Lanonchi has been purchased by another fae, the one standing before him, who is Mab, the queen of air and darkness and mother of winter. We then go into chapter three, where Dresden shows fear, uh, incredible amounts of fear that his debt has now been purchased by the fairy queen herself. I mean, Leah was was tough in the last book, but getting one past Mab is going to be impossible, almost like God-level powers we're getting to here. Uh, Harry makes it clear that even with his current power, he could do nothing to her other than rustle her hair. So he refuses to, to help. Uh, Mab offers Harry a deal, three tasks for her to fulfill his debt. Dresden thinks it over and realises he doesn't really have many options. Uh, so he grudgingly accepts and receives his first task, which is to investigate the murder of one Ronald Ruel, Ronald McDonald, an <laughs> artist. Uh, Mab tells Harry that as an emer emissary of winter, he should expect to meet the emissary of summer as well. And they're probably not going to get on. Uh, we get to chapter four, uh, where we have a little uh, time skip, and Harry attends a meeting of the White Council in Chicago. Uh, he is met by uh, his mentor, Ebenezer McCoy, um, who kind of, he didn't really teach Harry magic, but he taught Harry kind of self-discipline after his time with Justin DeMorne. Uh, prior to the meeting, Ebenezer introduces Harry to some of uh, the, his other allies on the council, uh, Martha Washington and Listens to Wind, uh, a.k.a. Injun Joe. Uh, both kind of represent a more liberal view of magic, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also told about the Merlin, who is kind of the head, uh, like the prime minister, I guess, of the council. Um, and then there are other members of the council who are more conservative in their views and believe that magic should be kind of kept secret and under wraps. Um, McCoy uh, explains that him and his allies are responsible for Harry having not been executed, before the events of Stormfront, uh, and why he was under the doom of Damocles, um, presided over by Morgan in that book. Uh, Injun Joe mentions that Terra West sends her regards, while Martha mentions that their fellow liberal ally, Simon Pietrovich, um, and a vampire expert wizard, has been killed looks like murdered by the vampires at his fortress over in Archangel Alaska, I think it is? I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
it's generally kind of explained that the rest of the White Council have a bit of a distrust around Harry uh, because he murdered Justin de Morn, which does break one of the rules of magic, even though he did it in self-defense. Uh, and now that he is responsible for starting this war and that people are dying in it, the White Council are looking to publicly make an example of Harry. And that is where we end our recap. Rob, do you want to take it away? Yeah. Um, with Chapter 5, almost immediately we pick up with uh, Harry and Ebenezer and you know, the other, the lot, the crew, the squad, um, as they enter towards the convention centre. Um, it's an interesting bit here, actually, because Harry kind of makes the decision to wait and let Ebenezer go a few steps in front of him just so he doesn't cramp his style. Like, not Ebenezer cramp his style, but vice versa, I guess. I mean, that's not explicitly why. It's um, with Harry not being in favour and Ebenezer being a senior member of the council, it's kind of to not make Ebenezer look bad or for the same reason being distrusted and all that kind of jazz. Um, in any case, yeah. as Harry enters, we meet our favourite White Council wizard, Morgan. That's right, Morgan. Who, if you remember from Stormfront... Morgan. Fucking Morgan. <laughs> fucking Morgan. If you remember from Stormfront, he's very against Harry. He's, he's kind of just there watching him all the time, being like, ah, oh, yes, Harry Dresden, at last, justice will be served. And Harry's like, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. Um, and if you remember from Stormfront as well, he kind of... There was all this suspicion around Harry Dresden being the one using black magic, and it was Morgan that cleared his name, I guess. But um, in any case, he, he's he's very unhappy that the council were still lenient with Harry following the events of Stormfront. Um, mm-hmm. And it's shown here there is still that level of distrust that he has towards Harry. Um, almost immediately, he's like, "Oh, step to one side, please. We need to like check you've not got any explosive or dangerous magic on you. Um, need to make sure you're still you." And Harry's like, "Oh, for goodness' sake, this is ridiculous. I want to speak to the manager." Um, yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, he get he gets through and. Yeah, he's looking for a place to sit, and it it seems very clicky at the same time because he's looking for a place to sit, and all the other like council members are trying to just like not ignoring him as such, but are kind of just like, uh, don't really want want to be seen with you because no one likes you. Um, yeah, and Eben he, he gets like. like yeah, it, it, I, I don't remember it being this way, but yeah, um, Ebony's the kind of gestures. Oh, you know, there's a spot next to me. Come on. Um, yeah, and the, the meeting begins, and the Merlin is gibbering on in Latin, which is fun, because Harry's Latin is just not on the same level. Um, he calls out Harry in front of the entire council, and kind of in a move against Dresden, the Merlin is trying to fill the senior position left by Simon... I can't remember his last name. Uh, Pet- Petrovich. Petrovich. Yeah, uh, it's trying to fill that kind of gap in the senior council with um, someone who isn't really on side with Harry, Ebenezer and that lot, um, just so 
they can do what they want and he gets all the kind of vote against Harry past. Um, Ebenezer explains to Harry that you know, the, the Merlin has three kind of... He always has three plans to kind of bring things down. Plan A, Plan B, and the wild card, or whatever it's called. Ace in the hole, I think it's worded as. Yeah. And this is very much Plan A. <clears throat> um, the Allies decide, and they kind of step up, and they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Um, and they kind of persuade the council that a more senior member of the White Council should be appointed onto the, you know, the, this little group of members. Um, and there's, there's this, all this vote, and it's going through this list of, like, oh, James McAvoy, and you're like, oh, he's he's on an acting job. Joe Biden, he's now running as president-elect. And it's going through all these names, and it's like, oh, they're, they're doing this, they're doing that in, like, some other country so they can attend the meeting. And then it gets to Ebenezer McCoy, and he's like, well, I guess... I guess as the most senior person, I guess I'll have to do it. And the Merlin's just like grinding his teeth, just like fuck's sake, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the conversation kind of moves from there onto the war. Um, there's been victories and losses on both sides, both between the Red Court of Vampires and the White Council. Um, the Council are trying to, I mean, because of their magic being really, you know, not compatible at all with modern technology kind of getting around for them in the real world, I guess, can be a bit difficult, especially during a war. Um, mm -hmm. So they've been trying to negotiate safe passage through the Never Never. Uh, with that, they've had to be kind of bargaining with Queen Titania of the Summer Court, who just flat out says, no, I, I'm not involved in this. This is your bullshit. Like, leave me out of it. So she's... she's uh, trying to play it neutral i guess whereas mab the queen of winter hasn't decided on her place yet in the war and i guess it's more open to negotiation but we'll, we'll get into that bit shortly um at this point the council also declare that they've received a letter from the red court one court ortega who you may remember from the end of grave peril um he was the one who kind of announced you know the whole if you had to, to dress and if you hand yourself over done you know no no war it will be fine but if you make one more move against bianca then it's all out war um and the letter is saying that the vampires will cease their hostility if the council hand harry over to them then we go into chapter six where we have the merlin's little gimpy friend lefortier kind of making his case on why they should um hand harry over um, he, he goes as far as accusing Harry of working with the Red Court in helping uh, kill Simon uh, Petrovich. Um, the reasoning behind this is that we, we mentioned it last week, as in you mentioned it last week, Pat, that um, you looked up Simon Petrovich and he trained Justin Dumont. And that that's what's mentioned here. Harry killed yeah. Justin Dumont, so they kind of make some conspiracy theory bullshit link that Oh, he must have had something to do with the guy who trained Justin Dumont as well. Uh, yeah. There's like no evidence for this, so naturally Ebenezer's like, yeah, no, that's bullshit. Sit your ass down. Um, but I mean, Ebenezer comes in handy here because he petitions that only the senior council members have a say on the matter here, because the council, or you know, they're 
like the general public, they're they're easily swayed. They don't have all the information, I guess. Um, but in any yeah. case, we're introduced to probably one of the most anonymous, I suppose, members of the council, uh, the gatekeeper, and yeah, with with him kind of appearing, the vote ends up, you know, pretty. It's tied. It's free against free. Um. At this point, a wounded wizard pops up, and he it turns out he's been sent to talk to Mab about negotiating some kind of bargain to get all the wizards in the council to mm-hmm. be able to use routes through the Never Never safely. Mab has sent him back with a condition. Um, while this all's going, while this is all going on, Harry and the gatekeeper talk, and it's quite an interesting conversation. He's like prying him. For information, which Harry just—I don't know if Harry realizes that he's just openly telling him all this stuff, um, especially when presumably they've not met before. But um, yeah, Harry reveals, and it's revealed that Mab is meddling, or it's implied Mab is meddling in affairs to kind of get her way, which we come to find out later on is just Mab. Uh, the gatekeeper urges Harry to like take her up on her offer. Of um, you know, investigating the murder and all that kind of shit. Um, but he does this while also being really weird and cryptic. It's quite odd. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, the gatekeeper then urges the senior counsel to let Harry work with Mab as her emissary, um, and kind of bargain with her for the whole deal of using the Never Never. And Ebenezer's in it, like, he kicks up a fit, being like, oh, he's just a boy. No one's going to be able to deal with Mab, not someone of his level. And Harry's just there, like, oh, uh, 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 I, I met her this morning. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but um, the, given the whole situation, I think the gatekeeper's view on this is that this should be his kind of trial by fire, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. The case and the whole bargaining thing with Mab is if he passes the test and they won't hand him over for death, basically, if he manages to negotiate with Mab this whole deal and gets the Never Never access sorted out, if he fails, then, you know, he's fucked. Um, yeah. Then we move on to Chapter 7. Um, the meeting comes to an end, and... As soon as like the meeting is adjourned, Harry basically just gets up and is like, "Fuck this," and just leaves. Um, yeah, he's kind of. I mean, I say he's. Full, I wrote in my notes he's fully committed in brackets, though reluctantly, um, helping Mab now, and he's got like the folder with all the notes on Ronald Raoul, and he's like, oh, "Who who can help me with a murder?" Oh yeah, the Chicago police. So he drives to um. Murphy's house, because if anyone's going to help him with this kind of shit, it's her. And he arrives at Murphy's, and it's quite interesting because if, if you recall all of like their appearances together so far, Stormfront, Full Moon, Grave Peril, their first kind of meet up in these books, they're yeah, they're they're full of banter and just kind of they're they've been only serious situations. Yeah, they're standing over a dead body, but there's still that element of banter. Whereas here, she's I know that she's not herself. She's reluctant to let him in right away. And it's like, she's got a steel door on her house. It's bolted, locked and everything. And 
if you remember Grave Peril when she was attacked, it all spawns from that. Um, she opens the door for Harry, but she's got a gun in her hand, and she kind of steps back and is like, well, yeah, try and cross the threshold, basically. So if Harry, like, not inviting him in, but if Harry goes in anyway, he's leaving, like, a large portion of his power, like, outside the door. Um, so yeah, clever Murphy, I guess. Um, we get a bit of history on Murphy as well, which is really interesting, and I did not remember this bit, which, I mean, we'll bring up, I'm sure. Um, she's, she's obviously down in the dumps. She's, uh, she's just a, more of a state than Harry, given the situation. But um, Harry's kind of, you know, he prods for information by kind of using charades, I guess, I think. Um, and she, she spills the beans, revealing that, she, you know, she's got a photo album of her at a wedding married um and it's revealed that this is her previous marriage her ex-husband she had found out has recently passed away from cancer and she never even found out that he was ill so understandable i guess mm -hmm. and in turn harry's way of come like it, it's a bit cliche how this bit comes up because harry's like oh i know how you feel and she's like really how would you feel if someone you love died and it reminded me a bit of garth Marenghi. <laughs> but um more on that in a sec. Uh, but yeah, Harry, in turn, he kind of tells her about his first love, and he was who was also raised and trained by Justin Dumont. Um, attacked him when he came back to rescue her, and <clears throat> presumably died in like the fire caused by Harry and Justin's fight. Um, her name is Elaine Mallory, by the way. Um, yeah. Murphy then reveals as well that not only is she upset, she's struggling to sleep after the attack from Kravos in the previous book. She's been drinking bottles of gin and popping Valium like no tomorrow, which, yeah, fair enough, that's going to help you sleep. In any case, she agrees to help uh, Harry with the case, kind of looking up notes that he has and going on like the Chicago Police Department filing system or some shit database that's the word i'm looking for um to kind of get any notes on on the case that they have <clears throat> as she's printing the notes for harry she kind of mentions oh you know if 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 this is a murder then you have to bring me into this because i ain't having no one murdering the people that i'm supposed to be responsible for and harry again kind of goes into that chivalrous state of like oh but you're a woman um he reluctantly he agreed to it. <laughs> um and Harry Harry? Harry? Who the fuck is Harry? Harry heads back to his apartment um at this point because it's pretty late in the night. Um he gets to his apartment, drops his walls, gets into the house, and he senses that he's not alone and he, he pulls out the blasting rod, staff at the ready and all that kind of stuff, ready to fight, ready to defend himself. And there there is a woman just chilling in his living room waiting for him. And you get the description, you know, blonde hair and all that kind of shit. Um, and it turns out this woman is none other but Elaine Mallory. The very same mentioned earlier in the chapter. Chapter dun, 8. Dun. <laughs> chapter 8 and the final chapter for this week. We get a bit of backstory here from Elaine who reveals that she only attacked Harry in the past because she was under various different spells and magic from Justin. Um, she became his uh, thrall, 
I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she didn't really know what she was doing, and she didn't have the experience or power at this point to really fight back against it. She explains that during their fight, um, because he was so focused on defending himself from Harry, his spell on her started to unravel, and she managed to escape and find Sanctuary. Harry at this point is like, but where could you hide? I did everything in my power, you know, to try and find you. Like I've sent spirits trying to find you. And it is at this point she reveals to Harry that she has built up a debt with the Summer Court and Titania, the Queen of Summer. Um, and if you remember in the last episode, we mentioned that Mab would say, oh, by the way, you're going to meet the Emissary of Summer. Guess who? Yeah, <laughs> Elaine is the emissary <laughs> of Summer, and she's also been investigating the murder of Ronald Raoul, while uh, also being told that she has to uh, blame it on Winter. So that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, Harry, Harry's like, mm. you know, you you've been presumed dead for a while, so, and you're in, you're clearly in a lot of trouble here. So, if you come with me, we'll go to the White Council, and see what they can do to help. Maybe they can put you under protection or whatever. And at this point, as soon as he says it, almost as if Morgan was waiting for it, there's a knock at the door, and well, I just spoiled it there, it's Morgan. And that is where we uh, hang from the cliff at the end of this chapter. I see! (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay, so there is a lot to unpack here. Oh yeah. Um, so for me, this this there's kind of two scenes here, really. Uh, well, three. You know, you got Murphy as well, but you got the the stuff with with the White Council mm. talking to Murphy, and then we've got the the meeting with Elaine. Um. So yeah, I I guess. Uh, so first overall, um, it I, these were some really good chapters. Agreed. Um, memorable. I think um, both of us have talked before about the the big meeting of the the White Council in this book. We don't really get anything like this now for another what six seven books, something like that. I think I think we 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 bump into various different members, but I don't think we have a full council meeting like this until, geez, maybe book eleven. I could be wrong. That sounds about right. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And a lot of the characters that we get to kind of see here, um, are recurring characters in the long term. Um, the Merlin and, uh, his kind of cronies are really interesting. It really reminds me of like British Parliament. Yeah. That's all I was thinking about when reading these chapters. It was just, just, (laughs) just how they're like playing the game. The game is just, ugh. Can you not? It's too real. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's interesting because I, I get a very like anarchistic feel from Jim Butcher. Yeah. Um, and I feel like like here he kind of tips his hand a little bit on his thoughts around kind of uh, big structures and um, big government. Oh yeah. I don't know what you think. Yeah, yeah, I know that he's known for being. I've, I'm pretty sure his Twitter, like he's a self-described anarchist, or something to that effect. I can't remember. Yeah, which fair enough. That's if that's your boat. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think the the character of Harry Dresden is is quite anarchistic in his way. Definitely, it's it reminds me of just how like especially with the whole White Council meeting, and I don't know about you, but I've been watching a uh, Prime Minister questions like the last couple of months, which is. It's made me angry, mm-hmm. like very angry. I no longer have the patience I used to. But um, it's become like my replacement for like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. And it's just, you, you watch like Boris Johnson just kind of waffle about being like, oh, yes. And then you've got like Keir Starmer being like, oh, well, you're an idiot. And Boris Johnson's like, oh. And then you're just kind of sat there. You just want to like slap both their heads together. And be like, just shut up and get on with it. And it's very much like, like that with the White Council. Like their their decisions are really odd, for one. Like they're always like, like the whole thing with um, which book is it? I think book eight, where um, Harry's become like a I can't remember what they are. Guardian? No, Warden of the White Council. And Warden. Yeah, Warden. and and he's he's present when they execute a child, and it's like, I think we've discussed it before how they're just really ruthless, and at the end of the day, are they really that good? Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that's the thing that like they're very draconian, I guess. Yeah, it's, 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 which I feel we get a lot more is hinted at that kind of style as we go on during the vampire war, because it's like instead of taking action that they're more into just kind of faffing yeah and then it seems like when they do take action that it's really heavy-handed and like yeah way too much yeah it's in retrospect it feels like their decision is very much similar to our government of protect the economy by economy they mean their wallets hmm <laughs> but like that, like their own bacon. I mean, like not, like yeah, we'll throw Harry to the wolves. We'll kill this child, but we're not gonna like hand over Lafortier, for example, because he's the secretary of education or some shit. Even though he's a blithering idiot. <laughs> uh, of course, the Paranet podcast uh, does not make any. Uh... <laughs> Political statement. Oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably. Yeah, it's basically Dominic Cummings, uh, and that's all. All you need to know. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I was gonna say you should probably stop me talking and get back on track. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think I think we see a lot of kind of Jim Jim Butch's own political views through the lens of Dresden um, in in that council meeting. Um, it, it's really interesting because I, I think Jim is very much about the decisions that people make instead of what a system makes. So, for instance, the like the individual reasons why the different council members make their decisions are more important than the laws and, and kind of it's more about the edge case is like Harry is an edge case um, and there needs to be like the system needs to account for edge cases I guess is what yeah. what I get from that 
um, meeting, at least. Um, so that I yeah I I I think it's it's very well done. Um, I I think the the issues that we talked about last week are still very much present um, around uh, believability and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if, uh, fine if the White Council are going to meet up in the middle of Chicago, then the White Council meets up in the middle of Chicago, and I guess this is how it would run. Um, the so I don't think there's much more to really say there. Um, I I like the gatekeeper. Same. He's probably uh, one of my favorite characters, just because we've not had that much background or detail on him. He kind of pops up every now and then, is a bit ominous, and then buggers off again. Yeah. Um, I like we've we've already touched uh we've already touched on like whether he's um there's lots of fan theories around the gatekeeper mostly because kind of the way he talks and he's very mysterious uh, very cryptic like, and vague yeah cryptic <laughs> and anonymous and, and all kind of that sort of thing um I have to say knowing. A little bit more about him, where we're at in the series now. There is part of him that's like, "Why the hell are you at this meeting? You have bigger fish to fry. Go yeah. and deal with that stuff." <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> this is this is small potatoes. Just send someone else, man. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, he's uh. He's a good character. He's very interesting and um, very enigmatic. I think is a good word for him. Very enigmatic, uh, and I, I like that he. He's more like neutral when it comes to, I guess, the left and the right wings of the path of the White Council. He's very much like a, a, a guiding voice, I guess. Um, yeah. A bit of like Speaker of the House sort of deal, I guess. Um, which is that's that's a really interesting character. Um, the kind of the casting vote. Um, catch up with Murphy. This is probably the best character development we've seen uh, between books so far. I would say. Agreed. I was really looking forward to this book for that reason, because we. Yeah. I feel like every time we've checked in. In the previous books, we've we've always been kind of like, oh yeah, they're they're more friendly, but you know this. Whereas here, she's and it's something I really liked when I first read this is she's still recovering from uh, the events in the previous book, and I yeah. think Harry states here there's when when he's describing it, he's like, oh, is he, she was attacked by you know like some spiritual entity, demonic thing. That you know got inside her head, so the scars aren't there on the outside, but they're there on the inside. And he, he compares it to rape. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's an honest depiction of trauma. Yeah, definitely. Like it's 
something I, I, I liked about the Joyce Dim Files was like it's not like Star Wars or a Marvel film or something where the characters fight for their lives and barely survive and then are ready to do it all over again next week. <laughs> the, these things take a emotional toll and we see that in a, and and it's it's quite well shown instead of told with the the way that Murphy answers the door, the way that she's modified her own home to protect herself more. Um, it's all kind of uh, we see that fear coming out yeah. uh, really nicely. Nicely is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I mean it's... it also says a lot. Sorry to interrupt. It also says a lot that. Harry's showing up at her house and not her work. It's a new environment, I guess, we've not seen her in before so far as well. Like, she's yeah. always been on shift at work, never, like, in her pyjamas off her tits on Valium. It's more intimate, I suppose. Yeah, intimate and personal. Yeah. Um, and it also, I like that it, it it Harry's very chivalrous, yeah. And whether that's a good quality or not can be debated. But um, that it also creates its own weakness in that we know as soon as we start seeing these little signs about what's happened to Murphy and her mental state, we know how that's going to affect Harry as yeah. well. We know that you know, um, he's going to feel like he's failed on some level and that's really interesting to me um and it's that feeling of like a failing chivalry uh and and all that sort of uh those sort of emotions that are bubbling up that brings us onto a lane um what do you think of the character of elaine um I mean, my opinion of her might change as we do the reread, but my memory of her and how she's kind of used in the future books, I, I, I was all, I don't know, I was kind of left a bit over, not overwhelmed, underwhelmed, because I expected her to play more, more of a big part going forward. But I mean, we'll get there when we come to it. But I don't know. I think where I was with Dresden Files when I first read this, it was like. It, it, it's very much the series, I guess, in its prime, where each chapter's just kind of throwing shit at you and leaving you on a massive cliffhanger and then yeah. doesn't let go of you until the end. And the fact that she has been mentioned before in the previous books by first name, and that's something I only realised as well very recently. But I, I absolutely love the whole bit where, like, he tells her story in in the, in the chapter, and then what like eight hundred words later, bit of an exaggeration, uh, she's just there, being like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah. And oh, it's all very nicely tied together. Yeah, I mean, it, it's quite interesting because I feel on one side it could be like, I know I, I feel maybe mentioning her at the start of the book anyway would have been more effective. Oh, so you you feel it's a bit more it's a bit too coincidental almost. Yeah, I mean I don't want to say coincidental because I still like how it's done here, but I feel it in retrospect it probably makes more sense if he was moping around at the start about Susan 
and then compared it to Elaine Mallory and was like, oh yeah, you think this is bad? Well, my first girlfriend died. And then a few <laughs> chapters later, she pops up revealing herself to be alive. Whereas I feel, I know it just seems, again, I do like it, but it just seems a bit weird that all this happens in the I, same I, chapter. Yeah. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, um, yeah. it's only a minor issue, I guess. It's it's interesting. It makes me think a little bit of... We've both been watching Star Wars Clone Wars recently. And quite often with those, when they've got multi, multi-part... A story that's told in multiple parts, they kind of have to recap what happened in the last bit of story. Yeah. Um, with a conversation between two characters, because it's like... Um, it's a, it's a short show in these little like bite sized bits, um, and I I yeah I kind of feel like that happens here. I I almost feel that like the Dresden Files is is very much broken up like a TV series or something where each chapter, um or whatever is um is its own kind of episode, and so we kind of hear about why why Elaine turning up is a big deal before Elaine turns up for that reason. Mm. Um, but whether that's uh, yeah, I I think I think it could have been spread a bit further. Uh, certainly, I I enjoy the character of Elaine. Um, I always feel like she has a bit of untapped potential. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I meant. Like, she's such a big presence in this, and with her being a big deal in his life, I just kind of assumed that. You know, going forward, she'd have a bigger presence in... Yeah. I mean, I guess she does have quite a big presence in the background. Like, it it very much sounds like she's doing the same thing, but in a different city. Yeah, I, I, I feel like... I could... Yeah. I, I, you could almost do, like, an, an Elaine Mallory series or something of her dealing mm. with similar stuff. Um, it's funny because I feel like the series has kind of left her behind now. Yeah, we're kind of too far ahead. Um, and other characters like Hannah Asher have kind of taken the same place. Yeah, I suppose. I, like, but I mean, it's it's interesting because, like I say, she's still mentioned. I'm, I'm. It, it's always like, oh, like get the uh, the Paranet boys to sort it out, contact Elaine and get her to do this and that over there. Tell her tell yeah. her like her side of the country to be ready. It it reminds me a bit of the old like um Russell T. Davis Doctor Who days when like it'd be like, Oh, I'll ring up Torchwood and Captain I, Jack will sort them out. I was about to say that uh, that exact comparison. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Or the the freaking Sarah Jane adventures. Yeah, it's it's very like that. Um, yeah, I I, I get that feeling too, certainly. <laughs> but she's she's an interesting character. Yeah, um, speaking of other media and stuff, if we were going to cast Elaine in our Dresden Files movie or TV series, do you have any thoughts on who you'd like? Oh man, I that's something I've not considered in the slightest. Uh, do you have any ideas? 
I see like a kind of like a, an Amy Adams type. Yeah, I can run with that. I was trying like, to think of someone with reddish hair. So yeah, I like. I don't know. I don't know how to say. I don't see Elaine as like glamorous, but I see her as very like nice, like girl next door yeah. look. I guess. Um. Yeah. Hmm. I. I don't know. I. I. Yeah. I think that's. I'm. Gonna, I'm gonna go with my gut and just say. Actually, I. I do have one other one. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> yes. go with my gut. Except. Um. The. Uh. Oh. The woman that played Karen Page in the Daredevil series, Deborah Ann Wolf. Oh, I know who you mean. I couldn't tell you her name, but probably. I think it's Deborah and Wolf, um, but, but I think she she's, I mean, um, she's brilliant uh, in that sort of role. Uh, oh, it's Deborah and Wolf, W O L L, not Wolf, W O L F. <laughs> Went far off. Um, no, um, she's freaking awesome uh, as Karen Page. Um, but I think she plays. I think she could play like. The vulnerability of Elaine very well. Yeah, I think my casting of her would be. I should really have found out the woman's name first. Um, Game of Thrones, the wildling chick that sleeps with Jon Snow. Oh yeah, Mar- married to him, uh, Rose Leslie. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, she's got that kind of. Build, she's a bit tougher. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially uh, more recently where she's gone for like the shorter hair. I think that's mm. more recently. Um. Yeah, I could see that. Awesome. We um, did it. We're casting them. We're casting everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that one locked in. Um. I'll make the no tool. brilliant. Uh. Their actual conversation, uh, Harry and Elaine, um, it's it, it just feels like X is talking. It's very... I think Jim captures that very well, and he's obviously been in that situation before. Yeah, his reaction's pretty like that as well, isn't it? Harry's reaction. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and she's just... I, I like how casual she is, though. Like, he's... He's been under the impression for God knows how many years that she's dead. And she's just like, oh, you should change your wards more often. <laughs> this is no yeah. time to joke, Karen. <laughs> Elaine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say on that. Just, uh, I think it's ve- it's a very good recreation of that sort of scene. Hmm. Um, I, I certainly find that. Um. Yeah, so I think that that's about it. Uh, the cliffhanger here is massive with Morgan at the door, and we know that he's uh, he's always the one who kind of starts uh, all the violence for the White Council. Uh, he really is the axe man. Yeah, um, so it's bound to be true. So he's, he's the last person you want, you want at the door. Um, so that's going to be really exciting next week. Is there anything else that you want to throw in, Rob? Not Really? I mean, I was going to mention that, um, you know, is uh, 
Morgan going to be like the third part of the Merlin's plan? But it is, of course, he is. It's fucking Morgan, and we'll yes. find out next week anyway. Morgan, fucking Morgan, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a, an inevitable Peep Show spin-off. Uh, yeah, I was good. I was, I was thinking this earlier when we were talking about the uh, little quiz thing at the beginning, and then we went into Peep Show quotes. I was just like, we should just do a Peep Show podcast. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll talk about that as well uh, at, at another stage, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. Um. So, Rob, do you wanna do you wanna wrap things up? Uh, yeah, as always, thank you for the support. Um, give us a follow on social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, as for the episode itself and the show, share, follow, subscribe, you know you know how it goes. Um, we've racked up. We're always making, uh, we're always getting more and more downloads like, every time we do this. So we're, we're doing pretty well. And thank you for everyone who's listened so far. Um, Want to chat? Yeah. Hit us up, social media, email, you name it. Um Yeah, anything you want to add for No, uh, as we speak, we're about to cross uh two thousand one hundred, um, which is awesome. Nice. Uh, so we've we've recorded a little bit more in batch so that uh you guys can get something weekly and we can keep dealing with new jobs uh and and master's degrees and everything in between um so uh yesterday we, we recorded our last episode and we were at 3000 and now we're about 3100 so i'm sure you can work out those sort of numbers uh it's going very very well at the moment and we are so glad for everyone that is taking part and we'd just love to hear from from you all uh more um yeah just just chat with us we're, we're always our doors always open i guess virtually at least hell yeah <laughs> sweet uh, um with that yeah, in mind yeah. crack open a can of coke next week we'll be doing chapters 9 10 11 and 12 um yeah enjoy them and we will see you next week you've been listening to the paranet podcast with me rob davis and me patrick learn we'll see you next time bye bye